You're listening to Bushwick Junction on Radio Free Brooklyn. This is a show about life's inflection points, hosted by me, Asha Saluja. Bushwick Junction is about the crossroads in our lives, which paths we choose when we reach them, and where those choices lead us or don't. We'll talk about the decisions we agonized over and the decisions we didn't even realize we were making until years after we made them. We'll talk about how we decide things, how we weigh our options, or how we tap into our intuitions. And we'll talk about the degree to which our choices matter. Do we have any control over the things that alter our fate, or do we end up in the same place no matter which roads we take? On each show, I have a guest tell me about all the big decisions they've ever made in order. We'll start with birth, fast forward to their first big decision, and map out the road their life has taken as a series of these inflection points or junctions. With that, I will introduce today's guest, uh, local RFB celebrity. Hi, Aluch. Hey, Asha. How's life treating you? Life's treating me pretty well. Um, I think that's only the fifth time I've asked you that since yeah. we met. Aluch asked me that when we got into the studio and I was like, I think you're podcast hosting me a little bit. So Aluch is the host of fellow Radio Free Brooklyn show, Murmur. Beautiful name. What a word. Murmur. Yeah, right. It's got my initials. It's got the U with the umlaut. Oh. Yeah. Cool. What about the C with the... Sedilla? Yeah. It makes a CH sound. It's like, just imagine an imaginary H at the end of my name. Okay, I so, have a phonetics nerd question. So the uluch, is mm-hmm. that, does the sedia like take place in Turkish? It does, yeah, it's in the Turkish alphabet. Cool, so it's both, it's like similar to other European languages that use that same letter. Precisely, it's, for based, that on, same. it's based on the Latin alphabet. Cool. Have you ever met anyone Turkish before me? Uh, Yeah, definitely, but like. You know, just on the in the mix passing. of life. Yeah. yeah, it's New York City after all. Uh huh. I hear you. Um, how are you doing today, Luch? What's what's happening in your day? Oh my god, that is such a good question. Yeah, I don't know. You know, sometimes life feels like a like a boiling pot of stew with yeah. too many ingredients, and sometimes when you throw in too many ingredients, all the flavors become indistinguishable from one another. Because there's, it's so involved. Yeah, it's like too many, too many flavors. It's, it's like yeah, yeah, power yeah. clashing. It's power clashing yeah. flavors. So I'm trying to actually, actually extract some of the flavors out of the stew to, uh, to, to make it more simple. That's, that's, that's beautiful. I'm, I'm having that day too, man. Too much stuff has already happened today. You're not vegetarian, are you? No. Okay. I, I was once for five years. Five months for me. How did that work out for you? <laughs> I mean, five years, right? It will last a long time. Yeah. Still love tofu. How do you feel about tofu? Fried tofu is great. Right? Fave food. Uh, okay. So Luch hosts Murmur, which is also on Radio Free Brooklyn, which is, if I, correct me if I'm wrong here, a show wherein you pamphlet New York City and ask people to volunteer to come to your apartment, sight unseen, no background check, uh, to be on your show. Right? You know, for the last three years, I've really, really struggled with simplifying the format of my show. And I think you abbreviated in a way that I've always longed to do so, but have been unable to. So that was very eloquently put. Good thing it's recorded. You can, you know, we have it on tape. And have it on transcript. Yep. Very nice. Um, So I guess we'll get into how that idea was born and 
yeah, how how you thought of that and how it's working out. But first, yeah. I'm going to ask you uh, the standard first question on this show. Tell me about the circumstances into which you were born. And audience, I have mm-hmm. a sneak preview for you. This answer is wild. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, how was I born? My in Turkey, it's it's mandatory for every uh, every male citizen to do their military service. So I think shortly before my dad went off to do his stint, me and you know him and his and my mom must have you know uh, procreated me at some point, and but my dad didn't want to have me. So I think my mom was like maybe first month of the pregnancy when she called my dad up saying, "Look, I'm pregnant." And my dad was very adverse to that uh, sort of thing. Were they together? Yeah, they were together. But except my dad was like off somewhere else in Turkey doing his military service. Were they married? Yeah, they were married at this okay. point. Yeah. So my dad, my mom had to go to this uh, abortionist. Is that a word? Abortionist? I think we say like clinic. Clinic? She went to a clinic. I don't know if anyone would self-describe <laughs> as an abortionist. Sorry. Like saying butcher. Not yeah. a joke. No. Uh Anyways, it was actually a mutual family friend, this uh, this doctor. And, you know, my mom was just apparently crying inconsolably. So he just told her, look, why don't you just, like, take the day off, take a couple days off. And if you decide to have this baby, you can come back to me and we'll go through with the procedure. And it just so happened that that very same night, strangely enough, my dad had this dream or this, like, Grand wizard, no, you know, big beard and grand cloak, like kind of Lord of the Rings, Gandalf kind of thing. All right. He came to his dream and he said, this is the chosen child. This is the chosen one. Do not let him go. And so my dad wakes up like four o'clock in the morning, calls my mom in like a frenzy saying, please tell me you didn't get it. Go for the abortion. She says, no, I couldn't do it. So then after that, they kept me. Wow. So you basically have lived your whole life with the mythology of your chosenness. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, I, whatever. We're all chosen for one reason or another. I mean, what's your destiny? What's your purpose? You, the, we're interviewing you. Is this an interview? It's not a conversation? Yeah. Okay. No. All right. I mean, the show isn't about me. Okay. Maybe one day it could be. But you don't mind me making it um, back and forth every now and then? No. If you don't want me to, then I will No, you can flip it back. Okay. But I'll probably flip Flip it back back. at you. (laughs) Okay, by all means. I reserve that right. Okay. Um, Okay. So that's a crazy circumstance to be born into. I I think a lot about the, like, or I didn't used to think about this a lot, but Mm -hmm. people have come in and on the show had, like, a birth story, like, the story of their birth. And if you're you're told this thing about yourself your whole life, like I don't think you can help but to like that's the beginning of your story. What's the what's the word when somebody tells you that you're gonna be something? A self fulfilling like fulfilling pr- pr- prophecy. prophecy. Kinda like that, right? Yeah. That's what you're referring to? Yeah. I don't know. It's just for me it's just a cute little story. Okay. Well it's not really cute. I could have been dead. But yeah. you know, whatever. It's something to talk about. Does that does that change how you feel about about abortion myself? legislation? Hmm. Oh gosh, that's such a interesting question. I think that should be a free choice. Okay. So, uh, usually that story leads into a bit of conversation about the childhood. Uh, but 
we don't have to do that. I want to fast forward to your first big decision. Can I say something? Yeah. I had the greatest childhood in the entire planet. Aw, mm-hmm. so this is in Turkey. Where in Turkey? Istanbul, the big city. Yeah, the big city. Mm-hmm. Um, what was so great about it? I was just really loved. I Aww. felt loved. You were chosen. <laughs> no, seriously. Yeah. Um, that's great. Tell me about the first time you had to to choose to do something of your own accord separately from your mm. parents. Do you have siblings? I don't. I'm an only child. Me too. Mm-hmm. I thought maybe. Actually, that's kind of a half lie. Shall I, shall I be honest? Okay. I do have a half-sister. Okay. She is seven years old, though, so there's a bit of an age gap between us. Got it, got it. So, so you were, you've experienced most of your life as an only child. Exactly, though. exactly. I think that's what, what matters, not to, not to invalidate your sister. No, no hard feelings. The biggest decision that I ever had to make on my own? Not the, ever, the first. The first? The, the differentiating decision in your childhood, the first thing you decided, or maybe early adulthood, the first thing you decided. Well, I'll be honest with you. Um, I mean, I think making the move from Turkey to America was a pretty big decision, but I didn't really have control over that. The first decision that I ever made for myself was probably getting to choose which video I want to rent at the local blockbusters. Which video? What was the first? Video? Ernest. Ernest saved uh, my life. Do you remember the Ernest movie series? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ernest goes to jail. Yeah, Ernest yeah. goes to camp. If it wasn't for Ernest, I probably wouldn't be speaking English right now. <laughs> I learned so much from him. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Adam Sandler, too. Who mm-hmm. I actually got to wait on one time. Wow. And that was uh, really, really surreal. Was he nice? They say you shouldn't meet your heroes. He was, hands down, one of the nicest people I've ever met in my life, period. Wow. He was asking me all these questions like, hey, man, where are you from? What are you doing in the city? You're from Minnesota. What are you doing in Minnesota? He was genuinely interested in me. you're from minnesota i grew up in the midwest whoa okay so at what age did you move from turkey nine years old so your mom decided this she decided because she got a job offer at the mayo clinic she's a doctor cool that's awesome mm-hmm. yeah i think i'm interested in <clears throat> mostly in, in how we decide things but often part of the arc of the show is like what things our parents decided for us before we were able to decide so your mom got a job at the Mayo Clinic in Minnesota. Exactly. In uh, Have Minneapolis? you ever been? Yeah, close. It's close to Minneapolis. It's Rochester, Minnesota. Oh. Yeah. It's a tiny, tiny town. Not much diversity. A lot of white people. Was that... How was that? It was a... It was a look, look. <laughs> this is a story that, um, that I told to someone recently. I went from being the most popular kid in school in Turkey, you know, uh, to coming to a country where I just, I, I didn't know the language. I couldn't speak a lick of English. My first day in the classroom, it was such an overwhelming experience. You know, it's just like new kids, new people, new culture, new environment. I think it must've been right around seventh period. At some point I just, I think we were watching like Bill Nye, Bill Nye the Science. You remember Bill Nye? Oh yeah. Do I ever. <laughs> and I just got so tired. I couldn't help but just lay my head on my desk and just kind of doze off for a couple of minutes. And the next thing I know, the teacher switches on the lights in front of everybody, taps me on the shoulder and says, in this country, we don't sleep in class. Fuck that. Uh, uh, That still stings to this day. 
Yeah, that's so rude. And I had this bus driver named Earl. Who Earl. I was the last kid to get dropped off because, um, you know, we, I, we lived in the ghetto at the time. And he would say things to me like, you know, well, why don't you go back to your country where you belong? And, you know, the all bus this, driver? The bus driver. And I just assumed, you know what, this is the way things are in America. So oh I, I, I never told anyone because I just thought this is how things work around here. I just took it. That's mm-hmm. really harmful. That's horrible. I'm so sorry. No hard feelings. You've um, gone through some hardship in your life, too, I'm sure. No. So I think I was really lucky to be raised in a really diverse place. Like good, Miami good, good, good. is full of brown people of all stripes. I'm going to Miami next week. Oh, my God. We'll have to talk about okay. that later. Yeah. Uh, unless you want to call the studio audience, 718-928-9732 and shoot the shit talking about Miami. Uh, otherwise, no, let's stay on track. We've sure. got a lot of life to cover. Okay. So that sounds, that sounds hard and crappy. And I would hope that middle America has changed its bent a little bit on kids who are immigrants, but I bet that it's still similar things are probably happening at happening out in Rochester, <laughs> Minnesota. So, um, did you, did you get to help your mom decide when you were nine years old? Did she, did you have any input? Or was she kind of like, this is happening now? In all honesty, it was kind of like that. Like, this is happening. And at that point, I grew up obsessing over Nickelodeon. Oh, yeah. So Kids want to move to America. Yeah. Actually, uh, a couple of months ago, I had... Have you ever seen the show The Adventures of Pete and Pete? Yeah. So I had the older Pete here. Oh, for, Elder for, for Pete. Murmur. Yeah, the Elder <laughs> Pete for Murmur. And uh, that was such a surreal thing. Cool. But, uh, you know, I... I was very fascinated with American culture. No, I didn't really have a choice. Right. I had my hands. But you were kind of into it until you got here and Mm -hmm. it wasn't so well. Yeah. yeah. So did you find yourself rebelling against that? Big big time. Big time. But at the same time, it was never much of um, an academic in Turkey. Mm. You know, I wasn't dumb. But I think I had a lot of uh, self-esteem issues in terms of absorbing no- absorbing knowledge and retaining information and things of that nature. Maybe I was a little idiot. idiot. I can't even talk today. I'm sorry. I, I don't Words know what's going hard. on with me. Words are hard. Yeah. I had a little bit too much to drink with my folks last night, so I think my head is still a little fogged up. My apologies to the listeners who uh, were putting up with my incoherency. What was the word you were going to say? You A-D-N-D. Were- A-D-D. A- yeah adhd that's what i meant to say so i'm a matt did you respond to that kind of like i want rudeness by shrinking where where did you internalize it or did you rebel against your environment i think by nature i i was just so sad at my situation that i just kind of um let everything corrode inside of me like like tumor damn mm-hmm. i didn't I, i've never been an angry person yeah just really sad Aww. um at what point did you begin to recognize and like treat that sadness i don't it doesn't mm. feel like it's still living inside you i ignored it for a long time uh it wasn't until maybe five or six years ago I kind of had this um, juncture in my life. It's a, a junction, you might even say. Yeah, a very pivotal one. Uh-huh. I wasn't sure if I want to live anymore. Wow. So I just kind of dropped everything 
And I hopped on a plane and went as far away as I could get to, which happened to be uh, the border of Iraq, this little town called Van. It's supposed to be the heroin capital of, uh, of Turkey. Wow. And there's apparently also a hidden Loch Ness monster out there. So I really wanted to, you know, chase How that How did down. you know about this place? Um, I didn't know anything about it. I just, it's as far away as I could get to away from New York and away from myself. And I just went hitchhiking for about a good week all across the border of uh, Syria, Iraq. At one point I was 30 miles north of Aleppo, which I'm sure you know is not the safest place in the world. You know, the spawning grounds of uh, ISIS. And in those, you know, six to seven days, I just met the nicest and kindest and, and most um, benevolent people I've ever met in my life. And it was through the help of those strangers that um, that I found the courage to continue to live. So when I came back to New York, I wanted to honor that hospitality that I was given by starting my project Murmur by keeping an open door to let anyone come in for Friendship, open conversation, whatever. Wow. Mm-hmm. All right. So that that is the the pivotal moment to where you mm-hmm. pivoted to what you're doing right now. Mm-hmm. That's fascinating. I want to talk more about your time there. Um, but let's let's backtrack a little bit. So that when you decided when you were having these really dark feelings and decided to mm-hmm. do that, you were already living in New York? I was, yeah. I was actually living just a couple blocks away from here. Oh, wow. I had an awful roommate who ended up throwing all my stuff out on the street, like records, desks, and stuff like that. Jesus. Even though I was paying for rent while being away on this trip. But that's a whole other story. Yeah, let's I think have, about I that. I have bad luck with people. You know, what is it? with? Are people nice or are they just kind of bad these days? I don't know what's going on. It's just, just bad luck. You just told me that you met some of the most benevolent people in the world. It's on true. On the other side of the world. That's very true. Um, I'm probably going through another juncture in my life in the last few months where I'm kind of questioning a lot of things. So I can see what, how those two statements might feel disconnected from each other. But, you know, a lot can change in five years. Wow. Do you feel like you attract bad people? Unintentionally. Yeah, of course. No one's intentionally attracting yeah. bad people. But you have a really good um, aura to your, to your presence. Thanks. It's pure. Is my aura pure? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I I feel like I attract really good people. Good. I don't feel like I have that many bad people. Good. In my I'm glad life. to hear. Uh, enough about me. So, what happened between being nine and unwelcome by Minnesotans to being what I don't know twenty twenty one twenty two and I just got stuck in Minnesota. Yeah. You know, I was working. Did you go to college? I did for a couple of years. Where at? Uh, Minneapolis. Okay. Uh, what it was, did it was you, a community college. I went for a liberal arts degree. When you were, you know, 15, 16, 17, mm-hmm. what did you think you wanted oh your life God. to look like? I was such, I was such a music fan. Yeah. I was the guy with like, I had like 10 different Radiohead t-shirts. Every day I would show up to school wearing one of them. And it was, it was like my armor, <laughs> you know. Well said. My, my uh. Did you have a, a scene of kids in Minnesota who liked the same music as no, you? No, they you didn't. You were a lone wolf. I, I was definitely a lone wolf. Come on. It's ra- it's not that hard to Yo, get into Radiohead. In 2003, in a place called Rochester, Minnesota, yeah, I you'd, believe be, you. you'd I'm not, be lucky to find another radio fan. I'm not blaming you. I'm blaming them. Like, yeah. come on, guys. <laughs> Just yeah, try yeah, yeah. it out. You'll like it. 
Yeah, so I just kind of, I just invested myself into my music and in the, in the music that I like. I, I do play music. What do you play? Uh, a little bit of guitar, a little bit of keyboards. Do you sing? I don't. I'm actually very monotone. Cool. Yeah. Um. So you're, you you were saying you invested a lot in music and records and collecting and listening. Yeah, that was kind of my thing at the time. My my solace. Did you feel like you wanted to translate that into a life in any way? Or I did. Yeah. But at the time, you know, I I guess I didn't have enough courage in myself to to pursue that kind of endeavor, and I'm sure as you can imagine, when you have two doctors for parents. Mm. You know, wanting to do something artistic, uh, the, is I, I didn't I didn't feel that I I got the the encouragement that I needed at the time, mm-hmm. so I just kind of suppressed that uh, passion, that fire, for as long as I could. And around the time when I was twenty two, twenty three, I was working at this nightclub in for uh, in Minneapolis called First Avenue. It's the same place where Prince. Had made the movie Pearl Parade. So I actually got to hang out with Prince a couple of times. That, that's, those are cool stories too. That's but, the best. Yeah. Um, no, let's probably just talk about Prince for a minute. Like, <laughs> I almost killed him. What? I, I tripped on my shoelace and I fell on Prince <laughs> as I was walking him backstage to, uh, to a Bonnie Bear concert. What? He, he brought this beautiful gold tinted stratocaster guitar and the guy's like you have to see him not only is he was he short but he was so small he was like a like 10 year old boy (laughs) an adult man inside of a 10 year old boy's body and i was just so nervous i was you know 19 year old kid standing next to a bona fide rock star and you know i had this huge afro at the time so you know must have like blurred my vision or something because next thing i know i trip on my shoelace and i fell on him and there was always this like thing on him, on him. Like and he, he was, was wearing like standing? six, he's, he's wearing like oh high heels. God. He's got his guitar in his hand and he just kind of like toppled over and he just looked at me like, dude, what the fuck? Oh my God. And I, I, I've told this story so many times, but there, there's a, there was a saying at First Avenue that if you ever look at Prince in the eyes, <laughs> that you'll, you'll get fired. <laughs> and I, br- I broke that cardinal rule, oh but still gosh. managed to keep my job. But this is the this is the craziest part of the story. So, anyways, we you know we got all ruffled up, but we take him backstage. He he gets plugged in, and he wants to go on stage and jam with Bonnie Bear. But Bonnie Bear got so scared, like nervous, nervous okay. that instead of inviting him, which was pr- what what Prince was waiting for, he didn't want to just you know step into his show and. Yeah. Take away the spotlight. He was waiting for for an invitation. Right. And when Bonnie didn't give him the invitation, he just like, all right, I guess I'm going home. So he plugged his guitar and we took him back to his limo and he just, he actually played a few guitar solos over the PA system, but he wasn't on stage. So the audience actually heard Prince playing, but they never didn't knew know it? it was him. Wow. Yeah. What a story. Uh, yeah. I'm really glad we took that diversion. It's okay. Um, so you're working at a venue. Yeah, I was there for five years. Wow. Yeah. That's fun. You must have all kinds of stories from that. Uh, yeah, kind of. I mean, you know, I was kind of, I think I was a bit of a pretentious music Nazi at the time. So I turned off a lot of people instead of um, making friends. Interesting. It took me a really long time to uh, gain the uh, introspection that was necessary for me to realize those uh, 
unwanted qualities about myself that was repelling people away from me. That's life's journey, isn't it? Just like well, you, you wouldn't know you're a pretty likable person. Um Enough about me. You don't <laughs> like this when I do this, do you? Uh What do you got to hide hide Asha? You're a radio host personality. <laughs> this is a It's a different taking format. An interesting turn. I've just never been asked questions on here. I've always done the interviewing. Let me tell you something. And I, I get told you, you my blood is yeah. boiling right now as I'm speaking right now. Simmer because, down because let me tell you why. Uh-huh. So often when I get guests coming over to my place for murmur mm-hmm. for my podcast, it bugs the fuck out of me. I can swear. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That nobody ever takes the time to ask me how I'm doing. People, really? People forget that I'm a person that this is meant to be a back and forth an interactive kind of thing. And I feel like I'm just putting myself in your perspective to constantly interview somebody and never have that person inquire about you. Hmm. What a selfish thing. Yeah. But you don't like it. Well, it's not that I don't like it. If we were out at a restaurant, oh. I would feel annoyed if I kept asking you questions and you didn't reciprocate. But I think like, your show is purposed around conversation or you want it to be. And then people show up and just wait for you to do all the talking. And that's annoying because you, you're wanting it to mimic a real life conversation. I'm shaking my head to those who can't see me. Yeah. Right yeah I'm not in agreement. agreement, but so am I being rude by? No, not at all. But I'm, I'm just not really prepared to answer, but I do think the purpose of my show. So a big intention around my show is like, I'm bad at making decisions. Are you for real? Yeah. So I want to know about how people do that. I'm really bad at them too. Maybe. And like how, or less how you decide things, but more like how things play out. I understand. Like what happens if you actually don't make any decisions and just let life happen? Like what of, happens? A lot of sad things happen. I feel like I just want to, I want to collect data on how people, people's lives go say no more you can ask me whatever you want next and I, I promise to not turn the tables around no you don't have to i'm let's just let's just sometimes, be natural okay okay um why did you get stuck in minnesota what happened that you couldn't that you got frozen there this i didn't place ha- that, I didn't have money to move got it but did you want to this whole time or were you kind of like, like not trying desperately okay. desperately i mean since the age of 15 i would you know, download movies from Netflix or from the torrents, like Woody Allen movies, and hope and wish and pray one day that I would get to be in the scenes where that I see on my computer screen. Aww. And it just, for me, I guess it just felt like kind of a pipe dream. Like my life wasn't worthy of attaining that uh, that kind of uh, adventure. It's kind of a sad thing to say, but, um, you know, I guess I was just like really insecure or something. I understand. I think a lot of people make decisions around feeling like the thing they want is impossible or that they're not good enough for it. Yeah. When I interviewed Tom, RFB Tom, Tom, Mm -hmm. our our founding father, Tom, he talked about making all of his life's decisions as if the outcome he wanted were possible. And like, you know, maybe it's not possible, but at least you tried. Yeah. I'm I'm like Tom now and and props to him. 
Yeah. Bless his heart. If you're listening to this, Tom. Yeah, Tom, we love you. Uh, for the audience that may not know, Tom is an RFB founder and kind of like all of our radio dad. Um, Can I say something? Yeah. Uh, this actually leads into what we're probably going to talk about next. The, the reason why I came to New York is because um, I, I met somebody, a stranger, who took a chance at me and brought me to New York City. He paid for my flight ticket. Wow. To bring me here. So so was this a chance encounter? It was. Um, I was running on a treadmill at the local YMCA in Minneapolis. Uh-huh. And there was this huge, big black opera singer. Well, I didn't know he was an opera singer at the time. But okay. he was this huge, big black dude. Okay. And I'm kind of a gregarious guy, you know. So I was just, you know, striking up a conversation. Turns out he's in town for a concert, blah, blah, blah. And upon getting to know him in those 48 hours, we became such good friends that he just immediately offered me this job position to come out to New York to work as his assistant. Whoa. And at that point, I was so, like, despondent. I, I was just done with Minnesota. I had no friends. I barely How had old any. were you? I was 22. Okay. You know, I hadn't had a girlfriend in, like, four or five years. I mean, to, you know, this is kind of a big thing for a guy, you know, during the age period, you know, between 18 to like 22, 23, when you should be at your peak in terms of like sexual prowess or, you know, whatever. You're just like, okay, go on. Yeah. I'm not, what did my face do? <laughs> <You're just> like, <laughs> no, I was just thinking um, like, but for anyone, for, any, for anyone, for anyone at 18 you know, to 22, 18, that's you're, a you're sad absolutely time right. to be lonely. Yeah. Yeah, 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 definitely. So that was kind of my get out of jail for free card. I don't know if that's the right expression. That is incredible. Wow. What? Like what? But you know what my recent dilemma is? What? You know, I try to pay it forward as often as I can. And I've since then, I've done the same thing that he's done to me, to other people. Giving people? It's plane tickets to bring them out. Really? To bring them to my house. This is the most incredible thing. Oh my God. Wait, okay. So tell me about, so you were despondent. You were in a place in your life where you didn't feel like you had any exciting mm-hmm, options mm-hmm. on your plate. And then you met this guy. Tell me about those 48 hours. Well, I told him that I was Prince's assistant, which was kind of a half lie. <laughs> oh my! I mean, technically. No, it was I'd, a full lie. Technically, I'd escorted him on stage one time and like I fell on him. That was a full lie. But he took that as, holy shit, this guy is, he means business. So he wanted me to work. In a way, wow, now that I think wow, about wow, it, it was wow, thanks wow. to Prince that I'm in New York City right now. It's, it's okay, actually making but sense. But what happened when he found out you weren't actually Prince's assistant? No, I think he knew he knew that I worked at First Avenue. That's oh, that's gotcha. Prince's club. Got it, got it, so, got it. So okay. in a way, I kind of did work for him, but kind of not. Got but, it. So, um, but we only ended up working together for, for a month and a half before I parted ways with the opera singer. Something really bad happened. Oh, do you want to talk about it or no? I, I'll i just... Was it, it your fault? No. It's a story I've told a lot of times, so I'll just really abbreviate very quickly. I accidentally ate half a tray of brownies in the refrigerator that I didn't know were laced with, uh, with drugs. With weed? With, I don't know. Still to this day, I don't know what was in them. Uh, the report was that it was... Uh, the report? I went to the hospital. Okay. 
it, it, the report was that it was an unusually high amount of cannabis with another unidentified substance that the nurse couldn't tell me what it was. Got it. And yeah, that kind of, you know, uh, put a bad note in our friendship. Jesus. Wait, were you mad at him for that or was he I mad got at killed. you? I almost got killed. Okay. We live, look, I, we, we shared the same apartment. I had my own bedroom. Yeah. He'd even given me my own credit card. Uh huh. So whenever I went like food shopping or whatever, I, you know, he's just like all expenses paid for. Wow. Whatever food I brought in, mm-hmm. he would eat whatever food I brought in or he would, you know, what, what vice versa. You shared food. Got we it. We shared food. You were roommates. You were roommates. And he was out of town for a month in Brussels. So I was just like rummaging through the refrigerator and found a tray of brownies with like six layers of tinfoil all around it. I should have known better. <laughs> but he didn't mean to almost kill you. He should have given he you a heads up. He should have given up. me a heads up. Yeah. And he was going to pay for my hospital bill, which he ended up not doing at the end. So, Ooh. yeah. And I got kicked out, but that's, that's a whole other thing. We had since reconvened, but now we had another falling out a few months ago. So we're not talking fascinating moving on so you what were the 48 hours like where you became friends like Uh, did you feel like something exciting was about to happen he was a cool guy i'd never met you wouldn't meet people like him and in in minnesota he was extremely open-minded kind um he didn't seem like the kind of person that was that wanted to take advantage of me. And at that point, I'll be honest with you, I didn't even care if it involved sucking a stick. I would have I would have probably done it oh just for the sake of getting out in Minnesota. Got it. Um, so he gave me a really good vibe. And still yeah. to this day, I will have to say he's a very, very good man. It's just we've had some misunderstandings. Let's just put it that way. So at what point was he like, do you want this? Do you want to come? He made the offer to me initially. Um, like the first day? The, the second day, like okay. right before he went back to New York. And at the time... Did you hang out? Was it like a movie where you like... Nope, we just all... The, the extent of our conversations was pretty much just at the at the YMCA. Whoa. Yeah, just like swimming, you know. Huh. So uh, you just hung out at the gym? For two days. Huh. And I guess I gave him a good vibe, so... You know, so he offers you this job and there was no question in your mind. You were like, I'll do anything for this. You were kind of like, I hesitated a little bit at first. Uh, I think I still had a lease to, uh, um, to fulfill. So six months later, when it finally went up, I reached back out to him and I said, Hey, is the offer still on the table? And he said, yeah, dude, come on over. Oh, so you did not go initially, but he made me the offer. Got it. Yeah. Um, so what were those six months in between like? Were you sure sad, you wanted it? Sad. Hmm. I, I made an ill-fated attempt to move out to Cleveland at some point. Oh, which didn't so you work did out. not just chill in Minnesota. Nope. What happened in Cleveland? I got my heart broken. Did you move there for a romantic interest? It was a friend that I'd known since I was 14. Mm-hmm. Um, we'd met online at, oh. a, at a Radiohead message board. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. We'd actually been really good friends for like a good nine to 10 years. She'd flown into Minnesota to visit me three times. Okay. So it wasn't just like a. Wasn't a stranger. Thing. It wasn't yeah. a stranger. Yeah. And when I got there, shit just hit the fan. And yeah. I just, I ended up driving back to Minnesota for like 16 hours. Wow. I was in town for like 
less than a day. It was horrible. Jesus. But you were planning to live there? Did you have all your stuff with you? I did. Whew. Um, and I'll never forget on the way there. It was like my first road trip um, ever by myself. Mm-hmm. And I guess I was just like really nervous. There was like a cop, cop car and a motorcycle passing by me. And my natural reaction, and you know, most people would slow down once they say <laughs> but I got so nervous that I just like hit on the, the, you know, like, the pedal. better go fast. You better go fast. Yeah, exactly. And I ended up getting pulled over. I was going out to Cleveland with like $800 in my pocket. And the bill, the ticket that he wrote me was for $375. Oh, no. Which was like, I was crying. I mean, that was like a bad omen yeah. from the start. Yeah, that is a bad omen. Were there any good omens about moving to New York? Yeah, 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 definitely. From the moment that I arrived, I knew like this is this is the move. This is where I'm going to be. It's really interesting because in the story of your life, like you this Cleveland thing was like a footnote. You were you barely you almost didn't mention it to me. I had to like ask what happened in those. But if that had stuck, we'd be like telling a different story right now. I wouldn't be here right now. Yeah. So. Cleveland doesn't work out. You're back in Minnesota. You ask if that offer is still on the table, which you, for some reason, had rejected six months before. Because I think I'm still going to school at the time. And then I dropped out by the time I was ready to go do it. So you decide to go be this guy's assistant. And then all that stuff happens. Once once that sort of weed weed brownie debacle happens... Mm -hmm. Was there a hesitation about staying here? Well, in New York City? Yeah. No, I still wanted to stay in New York. It was just weird because two days after that brownie incident, I was to go back to Turkey for a month or mm-hmm. vacation. And when I came back, when I returned, he stopped answering any of my phone calls. He deleted me from social media. So I actually came back to America with like no place to stay. Wow. Thankfully, I had a couple thousand dollars, found this shitty shitty tenement house in bushwick by the halsey l train stop for 500 dollars a month and i just moved in there and the next day i found like a restaurant job so i've been here ever since do you still live in bushwick no i'm in east, east village nice yeah um wow let's take a moment so this was at 22 ish 2012 at what age did the trip to Iraq happen? This was four years ago. I'm 28 now. So a couple years later. 23, five years ago. A couple, a year or two later after this, yeah, you're yeah, hitting exactly. a low point. Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you say that it was just the farthest place you could get from New York, but that is factually not true. Like, it's not the farthest place from New York. As, as my money would allow me. Well, there must have been something. I mean, this is sort of close to where you're from. Mm-hmm. It's not. I Was it the cheapest flight you could find? Where did yep. you fly into? Bonn. What's, what country that was, is that in? It's in Turkey. But like I said, literally. So it sounds like it was more like the cheapest place that you recognize like there must have been something it's the furthest the, the furthest um eastern point to turkey and i think at that point i was struggling with um maybe certain identity issues related to of, your hometown your home place of birth 
No, just related to myself, just not really having a full understanding of who I am, why certain things transpired the way that they do, why I can never sustain friendships. Just a lot of whys, like whys, why am I like this? And I felt like maybe going back to Turkey and seeing parts of the country that I'm from that I've never, ever visited before would be a way for me to uh, get, get, get in touch with my roots, if you will. I mean, you could imagine. I mean, you're, yeah. America's pretty vast. Mm-hmm. So if somebody told me that they want to discover America and they've lived in New York their whole lives, I think to go out to California is a starting point. I think that's a pretty good place to start out. So that was kind of my idea. So for you going back to a place that's close to home, but not quite, it's similar to home, but different. Perhaps. Felt like a, a way to view yourself, to, to look at your roots in a similar but different way. I think so. So, are you skeptical about that? No. Do okay. I look skeptical? I think I, I have a resting sure. skeptical face. That's resting something I've said face. about myself before. Really? Um, tell me about some of the benevolent people you met there. I mean, what was the flavor of kindness that you experienced that I, felt so life changing to you? I think my biggest hope at the time was that um, I was deliberately going to a place that I knew to be very dangerous. Hmm. And I thought, okay, you know, I'm just going to show up here and maybe I'll get kidnapped by ISIS and maybe they'll like, you know, kill me because I don't have the guts to do it myself. That's horrible. I'm so sorry that you felt that way. It's okay. I mean, you know, we all go to dark places, but... Instead, the exact opposite happened, which was, you know, I arrived at the airport and there was this guy, this old man that I was sitting next to there um, on the airplane. And uh, I could barely understand the word he was saying. I don't think he was speaking Turkish. He knew a little bit of Turkish, but he was Syrian. And he essentially gestured me to jump into a car with him and three other people. And I think he was trying to explain to me that they were going to take me to the, to the, to the central area of the, of the town. And I hopped in the car with them. And the moment that I did, everybody pull, pulls out their cell phones and just like very loudly, like talking Arabic and I mean, shout. <laughs> and I'm thinking like, whoa, what? I had this moment where I was just like, what am I doing? Like, this is, these guys are clearly going to fucking like kidnap me and kill me right now. Like, And no, like they dropped me off where they said that they were going to drop me off. They ended up giving me hugs. They gave me their phone numbers and from that point on, each each town, each city that I went to, I would just be wandering on my own in my very apparent Western clothing. You know, like I'm not trying to hide the fact that I'm American. I have my scotch and soda jacket on and I'm just like <laughs> with this backpack. And people would just come up to me by the dozens, you know, just asking me like, brother, are you OK? Like, <laughs> are you are you hungry? Do you want something to eat? This is so interesting because your experience as a child in a new place where you were clearly a foreigner was so unwelcoming. So like go back to your country. So, so you are, you were othered in a negative way. But then in this experience, you were clearly also othered. You looked different from everyone else, but the kind of attention you were drawing was positive. People were like, you don't belong here. 
Yeah, it was that was a delightful moment. It was like thanks you, for that connection. That, you don't that's belong really me here, out. but that makes us concerned for you. Are you okay? Wow. Yeah, and um, I mean, people who barely had anything to eat for themselves would be inviting me to their houses. You know, they would say, "Oh, Yenge would cook you a food meal." Yenge is like uh, like a term for auntie. Hmm. In Turkish, you know, come on, auntie's going to cook us a meal. We have a house, you know, blah, blah. And and they were just so selfless. And I was just trying to think, like, look, if I were back in New York City right now, lying down on the ground, crying my eyes out in the middle of the street. No one would stop. Nobody would stop. And these people who have so little for themselves. In such a dangerous place, you know, they're like, you know, with the heroin and the ISIS going on. But they were so kind. Wow. Yeah, it really, really blew me away. I had a similar thing a couple of months ago. I think I was going through, uh, I've had a p- really tough past six months. Um, and going back to Turkey again uh, this past February really, really helped me to be rejuvenated. Sort of reconnect in that same way with the p- kindness in people? Very, very, yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I seem sad right now. It's only because I have to go back to these old memories. I mean... As I'm talking to you about them, I feel like I'm kind of living through them again. So that's why I'm getting a little emotional right now. But, um, yeah, I'm actually in a lot better place now. That's yeah. great. Yeah, thanks. Appreciate it. I'm sorry it's been a hard few months. It's okay. I When you ask the question, what is it? Are people just bad now? I And I was like, no, I, I think I attract nice people. Yes. I do. I do think Western life is very alienating. Like, I think... Uh, yeah, I think it's strange sometimes to like that we all live in little apartments and kind of avoid each other as much as possible, except in like, uh, like specifically scheduled ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's really weird. That's well, a pretty lonely existence, right? When I'm overseas, when I'm talking with people, whether it's a friend or somebody that I don't know. I feel like those interactions almost give me more energy. They they bolster my spirits. Whereas mm-hmm. here. I feel like we were just like talking at each other instead of talking with one another, which I find to be actually depleting. It like depletes my energy. And look, I love America. Holy crap. You guys don't get this wrong. The reason why I've, I've had all the amazing things happen to me in my, in my life these past five years is because of what New York City and what the United States had to offer for me. But I'm just saying there are certain things that you can't find here. That can be found very easily in other parts of the world. Maybe you might disagree with me, but I th- I think that's true. I I wouldn't argue. I wouldn't. Um. Never really lived overseas. Actually, the only place I've lived for a little bit overseas is Prague. I studied abroad there, and that is kind of an isolating place. Yeah, you <laughs> didn't, people you didn't are feel not it? really feeling friendly. I mean, I was a Westerner, and I think they hate Americans there because really? there's all kinds of like. But you don't necessarily look. You could be anything. Yeah, I'm ambiguous, but people. Uh, it, it's just like I was always in a big group of like English-speaking college students, and people just aren't really that into that there. Anyway, uh, I want to. I'm really curious about your paying it forward, or talk talk mm-hmm. me through first the connection between. You coming back from that experience and you wanting to start a podcast. It happened immediately. During that trip, 
I was avidly listening to uh, Mark Marin's WTF podcast, and I wanted nothing more to be able to have the same kind of engagements that he was having with his guests, but with the people in my life. And around that time, you know, Humans of New York was kind of a thing. Yeah. So I thought, well, maybe there's a way to like combine these two elements. Yeah, you kind of did that. Yeah. Cool. Except people like, you know, I walk out of my show a lot of times. I think Humans of New people York. People walk out of your show? Yeah, sometimes I can be a little too uh, too truthful. Yeah, what? can't handle the truth then. I uh, need to experience that. Get out of the studio. Yeah. How long? What's the, like? How long do you spend with most people? Is it a protracted amount of time? Is it's it like an, an hour? hour? It's an hour conversation. Yeah, yeah. And people are like, "Fuck you! I'm leaving before the hour." It's happened. Up. It's happened. I've how had many a, times? Uh, like eight or nine. Well, you've been doing this for years, so. Yeah, I've had like over just like a, little a couple over, times a year. Yeah. There was a period where it was happening back to back. Like, what's an example of something you said that made someone walk out? I asked somebody to make the sound of a cockadoodle. Like a chicken? Uh, what's the exotic bird? Not the flamingo. Um, one with like the really colorful uh, feathers. Like a peacock. Peacock, yeah. yeah. I, we Peacocks were, we were don't talking really about, make a noise. Well, that's the thing. We were talking <laughs> about peacocks and I, and I made a sound of what I thought a peacock would make. Uh-huh. And I asked him, what do you, what do you think a peacock would sound like? Uh-huh. He walked out? He was floored. He just, like, looked at me like I just asked him the most personal question. And he said, he just, like, was just, like, shot right up. He's like, dude, I can't do this. Sorry. I gotta go. What? Uh, that guy sucks. Come he on. He does. He does. Have a little imagination. Yeah. Well, I guess it's really different because you're taking in literal strangers off the street. Yeah, and I had a guy message me a couple of weeks ago saying that I posted a clip um, of a conversation that I did at my apartment a month ago, and a guest from two years commented on it saying that when I asked him a certain question, how much he wanted to punch me in the face. And he wrote that on the like the public comment section, and that kind of made me feel a little sad because... What question was it? I guess I asked him if his parents were janitors, but it was... <laughs> So look, sometimes in the spirit of the moment, the whole point of murmur is to be very spontaneous. Sometimes I'll say very random things in order to um, incite random memories. Because we're going into this with like no agenda, I do bring an element of improv mm -hmm. to the project. and But it's tricky because you don't know um, when somebody's going to get offended. or when. But you do have to instigate a little bit of drama to keep things interesting, I think. That's that's fair. Um, a couple different thoughts here. The first thing is like the peacock thing. So innocuous, super chill. That's what I thought. That guy was weird. The janitor's thing, a little offensive. I kind of get you it. You have you had to be no shade. Just letting you know, I get that. Also, out of context, I agree with you too. That granddaddy of all podcasting, Mark Marin, whose show I also find extremely inspirational. Like what I love about his show is how. I think I'm doing a similar exercise where I'm taking like one of my biggest insecurities and then grilling all my guests about it. I'm like, this is something that's hard in my life. How do you do it? How do and, I grill? No, no, no. I'm saying like the premise of my show is decisions are hard for me. How do you do it? Like, that's like what I'm I asking think, all I of my guests. I think you do it really well. If anything, if but, I could do it as, yeah, go on. But Mark Marin similarly is so 
insecure about how he didn't get famous in the same way. Now he's famous, but I think the the thesis of his show is he like has famous people on the show with him and he like tries to figure out the secret formula of what made them more successful than him. I I feel like that's what Mark Maron's show is about. So You're I trying think, to gain wisdom. You're trying to glean wisdom from your guests that you totally. could apply it into your life so yeah. you could be a better person. Yeah. But like that that's a really selfish exercise. Not I'm not that I'm hating on it. I'm doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. I just it's interesting. But he It's too, not selfish because the people tuning into this benefit from it too. They're part of the conversation. That's true. I'm sorry to cut you off. Go no, on. I think I think you're right. And I think like a lot of great art starts out of selfish motivations. But um he also says offensive shit sometimes and doesn't even realize it. Like I was listening to him interview Jennifer Lawrence the other day and he he just like full on insulted both her and Darren Aronofsky and she would just have to kind of like, well, yeah, <laughs> uh, I think that happens a lot on his show and he doesn't realize it. So maybe it, that's what a great podcast takes. I'm with you. To be an asshole. Yeah. Maybe I'll, that's I'll be what's keeping me from being great. No, 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 no. I, <laughs> Asha, I, I wish you, you have such a such a way of um, you're so good at listening. You're good at, and I noticed that you've done this a couple of times where you you take certain things seemingly disparate elements of the conversation and you connect them together in a very um, very profound way. I mean, you did it to me. My eyes watered up Aww. when you told me something a little earlier. Yeah, the. Of the country thing. Exactly. I'm sorry. You want to move on. Yeah, I do. Thanks for picking up on that facial cue. Thank you for saying that too, though. That's a really nice thing to hear about myself. So tell me about your paying it forward. So you, someone once bought you a plane ticket Mm -hmm. and what makes you want to do that? Like in what moments are you like, wow, I should do that for this person? What does it take Um, for you to see in that person? Nothing. Nothing? Just... You're a person, when you can. You're a person in need of help. You're struggling. And I know that I've been in places where I needed help desperately. And the very people that I thought who I was certain would help me out were actually the ones to turn their backs on me. It was almost always somebody that I didn't know, somebody who I had the least amount of expectations in that would go out their way and change my life. I've had plenty of murmur guests, homeless and whatever, in, in, in need of help, who I've made keys of my apartment for. Wow. I could just stay there and crash my couch or whatever. So I, as far as I see it, my apartment is a, it's like a public space. It's open to everyone. Well, you've literally made it that, so I believe you. It's, I, got evic- I got evicted from my apartment last summer. For actually. having too many guests. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Um, we only have... Couple more a minutes. couple minutes left. So I've been thinking lately how I want to put a bow on my episodes a little bit more, like unify it in some way. Mm-hmm. If you were, if you had to say what the unifying theme of the turns your life has taken is, would it be these chance encounters with kind strangers? Is that the theme here? I think so. Um, there's a really nice Bob Dylan song called uh, Simple Twist of Fate. I would advise listeners to listen to that. And yeah, that's kind of pretty much the premise of um, of, of my life's uh, template. Wow. 
That's awesome. I couldn't have asked for a better uh, finishing touch there. I don't I don't like playing music on my show because I don't want to steal intellectual property. It's perfectly fine. It's up to you. Bob yeah. Dylan, Simple Twist of Fate. If you guys are free, you can go and search for it yourself. Yeah, search for it wherever you get your music. Uh, on that note, maybe we, we wrap up. Speaking of searching for it wherever you get your music, what, you have a last thought? I do. Asha, how are you doing again? Oh, <laughs> I'm a little... Um, just like wiped, like I've been going nonstop for a while. One of those things I'm wiped from, though, is a vacation. I went on a beautiful vacation. Uh-huh. But you know how sometimes you need a vacation from, like, your vacation? Like, I need, <laughs> I like, it. a day in my apartment not talking or to anyone or doing anything. Is there anything I can do as a friend to, uh, to uh, alleviate some of the stress you're feeling? No, man. I I think that that's really nice of you to ask, but I'm I'm doing great. We're for the people who can't hear, we're shaking hands. Uh okay. Thank you for asking that. Thank you for turning the tables on me. Maybe sometime. Be, it's it's not the format of the show. The format is one person's life arc. But maybe sometime you can come back and we'll turn the tables. You'll interview me. Since you like doing that so much. We'll con- converse together, not interview. Okay. Right. We'll converse. Uh, thanks for tuning in, everyone. Uh, you're listening on Radio Free Brooklyn, which is a nonprofit community radio station supported by listeners. Go online, make a donation if you're so inclined. My theme song is by Nation of Language. Check them out wherever you listen to music or on tour. If you're interested in being a guest or you have any questions about the show, find me on Facebook or email me at asha at radiofreebrooklyn.com org uh that's all i got for you no live show next week because i'm on vacation again luckily it's going to be a chiller vacation this time should be great uh but we'll be back in two weeks thanks again bye